Welcome everybody to the Neverwatchers Does the Movies episode number nine. This time we are covering Goodfellas. My name is Pete Beckett, I'm one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Kurt Lewin. Hello. How goes it, mate? Yeah, uh, doing well, thanks. So, uh, eagle-eared listeners might understand that we've had a few episodes, unfortunately, with some minor sound discrepancies. We're hoping to get those fixed soon enough, but we'll see what happens. But you'll just have to deal with it again for this episode. It is fine, though. But anyway, we're going to talk about good things. And by good things, I mean good fellas. So, terrible puns out of the way. I'll run through a cast list, and then we can get uh, discussing. So... Um, you know, a veteran of the uh, gangster movie, Robert De Niro plays James Conway, Ray Liotta as Henry Hill, uh, Joe Pesci as uh, Tommy DeVito, Lorraine Bra- uh, Bracco as uh, Karen Hill, Paul Savino as Paul Cicero, and Frank uh, Severo as Frankie Carbone. Uh, there are many more players within, but those are the main players. Um... This film was written by Nicholas uh, Peligi and Martin Scorsese and directed by Scorsese. So, uh, I'll run through some trivia in a bit, but Kurt, I'm really interested to hear what your thoughts about this film was. Uh, well, this is one of those films that um, is heralded as a classic like of cinema. I know a few people who would have it as not only the best like gangster or mobster film, but even in their top, their favourite film or like top three films of all time. Yep. Uh, and to be honest, I'm I've always struggled with these kind of gangster slash mobster films, um, like the the stuff like The Godfather springs to mind, uh, Godfather Part Two. Um, some other classics uh, and even some which aren't as as well regarded sure um, um so like uh, american gangster is another one i remember going to see in the cinema yeah and stuff like departed as well yeah um i don't less so depart the departed um it, it, i think more the ones which are Oh, The Irishman as well. That's another one. Yeah. Um, like the ones which are more like also period pieces. Oh, yeah. I see what you mean. So in in that era. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. So with the, those all those films I just mentioned, yeah, I've always struggled. It, it's not because I think they're bad films. It's just that they, they, they don't really do much for me in the same way they do for other people. Um, however, I can say for Goodfellas, it whilst it's it's still not something I would say. Oh yeah, this is in my top ten films of all time now. It is perhaps my favourite mobster film. Yeah, I can. I did really quite enjoy it. Yeah, it's one of those films that's sort of if you've never seen it before, it's hard to sort of broach really because it appears so many times on those top 10 lists or top films of all time lists that sometimes the weight of expectation can always get the better of it but this one actually for me as well definitely lives up to the hype and the expectation it is a it is an excellent movie 
But yeah, um, I, I, I would think... say that I'm similar in that respect, that gangster movies are not really my kind of thing. <laughs> and um, biopics, or biopics, however you want to pronounce them, are not usually my kind of thing as well. But this definitely fulfills, you know, is definitely the top of both of those criterias for me. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I went into it with, like, really high expectations uh, well i guess i did but i i wasn't expecting to come out of it thinking that this is um one of my favorite films of all time because i just know that the genre in itself is is a little bit of a barrier for me yeah um, i can't disagree with that it's a barrier for me as well so yeah but yeah um pleased to say that i enjoyed it yeah, and um, how did you end up actually watching this movie? So did you watch it like on, on streaming or did you own the Blu-ray, DVD or anything? Streaming, yeah. Okay. I can't remember which service I watched it on now. Okay, I'll have to check that up anyway because I, uh, I couldn't buy the Blu-ray for this because it was going to take too long to come. So I got the DVD and it's very noticeable. So the reason why I, I asked this is because it is a very early sort of press to DVD. Um, right. It's one of those films that sort of came out when when DVDs were first incepted. <clears throat> I had to change the disc over halfway through. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was weird. It's not, it's, not, it's not that long a film for this genre either, really, no, is it? But, no, but it was the fact that I hadn't figured out DVDs, so they, they dual-pressed it, so it was on, like, right. half the films on one side and half the films on the other. And it was really right. strange, and I was like, got halfway through the film, and I was like, why is this weird symbol going? Oh, right, that's because there's a side A and a side B. That's weird. And to be totally honest, I never knew that was a thing. Yeah, I had it with a couple of early DVDs when we first got a DVD player back in, like, 2000. I think one of the other ones we had was the Thomas Crown Affair that had it, mm. and it was a very, very yeah. strange concept, and it was something that I'd, I'd forgotten was even there, so it's kind of a relic of the DVD age part, like, gone past like, yeah. So, yeah, that was a bit strange. That one. I just thought I'd, that that was quite interesting to discuss. Anyway, so um, I will bring up some trivia before we run through the um, the plot, and we'll we'll give you a couple of we'll give you a caveat to what the plot is because there is a small thing that we'll go through. So, uh, according to Henry Hill, whose life was the basis of, uh, for the book and film, Joe Pesci's portrayal of um, Tommy DeSimone. Um, uh, was 90 to 99% accurate, with one notable be exception being that the real Tommy DeSimone was massive. So he was he was tall. Um, also, the uh, How Funny Am I scene, I guess we'll cover that a little bit more later, uh, is based on something that actually happened to Joe Pesci. Whilst working in a restaurant, a young Pesci apparently told a mobster that he was funny, a compliment that... That was met with a less than enthusiastic response after relaying this anecdote to Scorsese, who decided to include it in the film. Uh, Scorsese didn't include the scene in shooting script so that Pesci and Liotta's reactions would be explicit, explicitly genuine surprised reactions from the supporting cast. Would it? Sorry, would it less it genuinely surprised reactions? <laughs> so, another one of those weird moments where directors does something outside of the realm out, that's weird just to inhibit a response. One of the more famous examples is obviously John Hurt's scene in Alien. Mm. Um, 
And finally, the dinner scene with uh, Tommy's mum was almost completely improvised, including Tommy asking his mother if he could borrow the butcher's knife and Jimmy's hoof comment. Interesting. Yeah, uh, it was. There was quite a few interesting trivia points when it was when I was researching to do this movie. It was, it was quite cool, mm. and those were some of the notable examples. So, Kurt, we do have a bit of a caveat with the uh, the running down of the key, of the scenes within this movie and the plot, don't we? Yeah. So rather than go through the plot beat by beat, we're just gonna like chronologically go through some of the. The key, the key scenes, and we felt doing it this way would be better because because it's not like fiction in the traditional sense. It's because it is a biopic. Um, it doesn't really have a plot in the traditional sense. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're, yeah, we're going to go through it anyway. Um, so shall we get going? We shall. All right, so we, in 1955, we've got this youngster called Henry Hill, and he is totally enamoured with the criminal life of um, the mafia, which is um, in his um, in his community of um, Italian-Americans in Brooklyn. Yeah, and this uh, is after a huge influx of Italian-Americans obviously make their way over from Ireland um, quite noticeably, and they, they take over communities, don't they, essentially? Like yeah. everyone knows who they are, like, and they're very well respected around their around said communities. Yeah, and so there's a scene quite early on where we have Henry looking out of his um, bedroom window um, at, across the street at this, like, a group of the of some of the guys in the mafia, um, and you. It just sets a scene for the uh, admiration that he has for them, and it establishes that he just really wants to be one of those guys when he grows up. Because as a kid, he's like a bit of an outcast because it is. I think he's got some kind of um, illness or, or something of, of the sort. Something um, signs, yeah, yeah. Um, that means that he's a bit of a loner. And yeah, he is he, is jealous, and he want, he wants to be part of um of of the mafia when it when he's older. Yeah, and like uh, I said, it, they're well, they're very well respected people within the community, despite the fact that everyone sort of knows that they're they're up to something. So I guess he yeah. wants to use that as a way of sort of gaining respect within uh, amongst his peers. Yeah, and there's the aspect of. Um, like the he sees them with the fancy cars, the, the all the women, um, nice clothes, um, and ultimately the the biggest thing is yeah having those the respect of those in the community. Like the the police don't give them parking tickets, um, all stuff like that. Yeah, but originally this starts out sort of in the future, doesn't it? And then it sort of goes back to the beginning, doesn't it? So yeah. the the opening scene specifically itself is them sort of taking a body elsewhere. Yeah, but, but that sort of plays into this. So you sort of re- that sets you up into how where he was at the time when things start to go wrong, I guess, and then it rewinds back and goes, "This is how I got into it." Yeah, 
Um, so, yeah, we, as um, the years go by and he starts to like become a teenager and he starts working for um, Paulie, who is um, um, a local, uh, I guess it's got some kind of role in the mafia. Yeah, he, um, he owns a front business essentially, but I think it's a, it's yeah. a restaurant, isn't it? Yeah, and he's got some associates. Um, one's called Jimmy, who is an Irish American truck hijacker and gangster, and Tommy DeVito, and he's just like a, another associate. Mm. Um, Henry begins as a fence for Jimmy, and he gradually starts working his way up doing more serious crimes. Yeah. And then by the 1960s, um, we. We see him and he's starting to get a bit more respect. And him and his um, three associates, they spend their nights at the Coca Cabana nightclub, mm. um, spending the time with various women. Yeah. Um, so, so I just want to rewind it back, actually. There was one one scene that I did really like in the. Because it sort of runs through it really quickly, his childhood years and how he gets his introduction into it is. Um, is a scene where he's he's been found to be truant from school and his dad absolutely whips his ass basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they go and absolutely yeah. abuse the postman so he never gets another letter <laughs> sent to the house from the school. Yeah. And it, and then it, it what is it that he describes is like even to a point where the postman just completely stopped delivering letters at all. I yeah. Just thought, I just thought it was really funny. Yeah, and it. Yeah, it kind of establishes the the role that they have in the community, um, or and the the respect that they they have because that that postman is, is from then on is going to be do, done it do as he's told. Yeah, and he's just too like he's just too scared to even like go against them, but to the point where his mum even needs to go down to the post office to go and get their own legitimate letters. Yeah, right. It's just it's it's insane, but it's. It, I thought it was really interesting setting up, obviously, that kind of dynamic. Mm. Um, so yeah, in the nineteen sixties, Henry starts um, dating um, a woman uh, called uh, Karen Friedman, mm. and sh- she's from a upper class, uh, mid sorry, a middle class family. Yeah. Uh, um, but she's. Um, initially angered by how distracted Henry is during their first date. Um, but he doesn't turn up for one of the dates, does he? Yeah, I think it's like the second date he stands her up completely because he's like busy working. Yeah. And she goes and confronts him and um, he starts turning on the charm. And at that point, she doesn't know what kind of job he has. Yeah, but it is also very interesting that even his associates give him absolute stick for that for not turning up. Yeah, yeah, it's and I think that does like establish one of the running themes throughout this film in that there is even though they're doing illegal activities and that there is still a code and yeah that has to be followed. Yeah, and we'll we'll get to this later on because they do some more insane things, let's say. 
but you would say that the the forefront of it is that they do have a moral code to some degree and most of their most of it is about family even if some of yeah. it is a front yeah um eventually both of them get get married anyway and um she's just after the wedding she starts learning more about um henry's criminal enterprises yeah. but isn't it also a thing that when she when he turns up to the house, he's wearing a cross and she tells him to cover it up because yeah. she's Jewish, I think, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah, and they even have a Jewish wedding. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but I think initially she might show some scepticism towards the kind of life that he's, um, or what he does for work. Yeah. Uh, but... I think quite quickly when once she sees how much money she's earning, the respect that she, uh, her and her husband get from the community, she kind of turns yeah. a blind eye. She does, and there's a very early scene when they're when they're dating, when there's obviously an issue down at the country club, and he goes absolutely mental, and this person who's just not left her alone beats beats him nearly half to death basically with a gun and tells her to hide the gun. And I think that her dialogue was, most people would run a mile, but actually it kind of turned me on. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's really interesting to see that how, like she knew what was going on like nearly the whole time, but yet she was she was enamoured with the kind of respect and power that he had. Yeah. Um, and I think as part of this whole introduction of like seeing how just it, it it the early days it just shows like how good it is to be in the mafia really um and but as part of this i think this is where we have that scene of um tommy going off on one with the whole um funny thing oh. you think i'm funny yeah how am i funny tell me how i'm funny which yeah which is uh, yeah karen yeah it is, um, yeah, it's um, a famous scene I have actually seen once before on, but I can't remember how I got to seeing it, but yeah, I have seen that before, and uh, yeah, it's um, an iconic scene, and one of the first, I think there's two scenes in this film that immediately spring, will immediately spring to mind for me whenever I think about this film, and this is one of them. Yeah, this was a scene that I knew about even before I'd seen the movie as well, and it was it's become so synonymous with the movie like that you mentioned goodfellas and everyone will mention this scene yeah but it is unbelievably brilliantly portrayed by joe pesci like the way he goes from being like really funny really clownish sort of behavior to being unbelievably serious and very intimidating and then going back to just being a clown again straight afterwards yeah, and then but then he even goes back to being really intimidating again because he goes off on one at the waiter. Yeah, yeah, it's re yeah, it's really well done, and I think uh, as watching it for the first time as well. Yeah, within the uh, context think, of the movie. Yeah, um, like the audience doesn't know whether he's being serious or not either. Yeah, and I think that's like it obviously is within within the fact that I brought it up in the trivia that some people didn't know what the hell was even going on themselves means that the reactions were genuine. But it is a, yeah. it is still a brilliantly portrayed scene, regardless. And 
I think it helps to cement the fact that I think the the key performer within this whole movie is Joe Pesci. I think his performance is excellent throughout. Yeah. Like and the whole cast um, yeah. is brilliant, but him particularly oh, yeah. is my god. Probably the probably is um his shining performance. Yeah. And and the scene immediately highlights to us that this guy can just go off the handle at the mine the most minor thing. Yeah, and it sets up the fact that we will probably see this a lot later on in the film as well. Mm. Um, so that's one of the things I'm going to come on to now. So in 1970, uh, Billy Batts, who is um, a made man um, within the Gambino crime family, mm. he's recently been released from prison and um, in a nightclub, he insults and demeans Tommy in front of him. Uh, a load of people yeah. and uh, yeah Tommy doesn't take too kindly to that and um, ends up beating him up stabbing him and shooting him um, and this is a bit of, um, a, not I guess a, it's a betrayal of the code because sure they these the mafia kill people but they don't kill made men not, yeah, they don't kill their own. Not, yeah, and if they do, there's got to be a damn good reason for it. Yeah, and there's clearly not a damn good reason for this one. Like, the only no. reason you would is if they're a snitch or if they've outright, ins like, completely insulted the code themselves. Yeah, and I think this is the first instance where things for Henry start to go less than ideal for yeah. once uh, up to this point him being in part of the mafia has been going pretty swimmingly yeah. and everything's just been really great for him yeah and this, uh, is, this it, is kind of where we circle back to the key the opening scene of the movie don't we yeah where they're taking the body off to to the woods yeah um, yeah, so they yeah they go and, and bury the body up in upstate New York. Yeah, and, along uh, the way they find out that he's actually still alive. Yeah. Um, then six months later, uh, Jimmy learns that the burial site is slate, uh, stated for development, so they have to go back and relocate the decomposing corpse. Yeah. Um, then. We see Henry, um, uh, sorry, Tommy going off on another um, crazy moment where they're playing cards um, in their, I guess, like gang hideout or whatever. Yeah, it's a club of, or bar of some sorts where they use as a, as a front business, probably. Yeah, and there's an errand boy in there um, who I guess is like in a similar position to what Henry was at the start of the film. Yeah. Um, he's just. Um, yeah, small time Aaron boy trying to work his way up and um, he Tommy goes off on one because he asks Spider to get him a drink and initially he shoots him in I think he, it's in the, the leg isn't it? Oh it's in the foot I think yeah and um, so he has to that's, that's one aspect of it of him going crazy and some of the other gang members are like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. 
and it's all because did he get him the wrong drink or something like that something along <laughs> those lines i can't remember exactly what it was but yeah. it, it happened so quickly that i think not even half the people there sort of understood what the hell happened anyway yeah um and then shortly after that when, when this when spider is is back in in the the bar and he's got um his cast on yeah and he's like limping around and he gives some back chat to tommy um i can't remember what the exact back chat was about now but um i think it's yeah, but... playing into the idea that he's been shot in the foot basically yeah but he says yeah well yeah tommy's like saying something to him yeah and basically yeah he gives he gives some back chat and the others like it's a bit demeaning to tommy in oh yeah what jimmy then demeans him doesn't he and says oh you're going to take that you're going to take that sort of thing yeah but they're saying it in like a jokey way aren't they yeah um but you can tell well i think right at that moment having seen what we'd already seen up to this point in the film i already know he was going to do something um as crazy as kill him yeah. um which he does and it, 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 yeah he does he shoots him and kills him and he's just so nonchalant about it, it it's like it, let's carry on playing cards yeah but everyone uh, else is like no we got to get rid of him yeah and it's uh, and the others are like what the hell are you doing Mm. Uh, I yeah. remember Robert De Niro is like, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy's literally like, what the hell is wrong with you, sort of thing. And he he's been like his biggest like companion basically the whole way. And I think this yeah. is where he starts to have the turn on him. Yeah, like so this uh, this was where I really th- was thinking to myself like, Tommy is a really great character, but he, I absolutely hate him. Yeah, it's one of those characters in film history or, you know, in history themselves. You love to hate them, but you hate to love them at the same time. Yeah. He's brilliantly portrayed, but he's such a bastard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you you want to see him get his comeuppance at some point. Yeah. Uh, And we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, So... Karen, uh, she discovers that Henry has a mistress and threatens him at gunpoint. Um, Henry moves in with his mistress, um, but Paulie insists that he should return to Karen after collecting a debt from a, a gambler in Tampa with Jimmy. Yeah, the scene of Karen absolutely going mental and sitting on top of him with a gun pointed in his face, I think is absolutely spectacular. Yeah. Such a brilliant like portrayal of emotion by both by both parties because he goes from because um henry goes from being massively calm to absolutely flipping out within a second when he gets the upper hand and it is it's insanely well done by both actor actor and actress yeah um so yeah he goes and does this collection mission and um gets some money but they're severely beaten by the debtor and um, held him over an edge of the wall um, to the lion's pen at the local zoo. Um, and this is down, when they, this is when they're down in San Diego, isn't it? Yeah. Or in Florida. Tampa, yeah. Yeah, Tampa. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so upon returning, Jimmy and Henry are arrested after being turned in by the gambler's sister, 
who is an FBI typist, and they receive 10-year prison sentences. Yeah, but this is, like, the easiest 10 years they'll ever have. Yeah. Yeah, it's initially depicted as being quite idyllic, with Henry sharing a, a large cell with Paulie. Yeah. And... Uh, several other well-connected mobsters yeah um, the um the cooking scene itself has become very famous as well for how he slices garlic i think they <laughs> made an entire cookbook on that recipe right um uh, to finance his um, prison life and support his family on the outside henry is has um karen smuggling food and drugs um which he sells in cooperation with a fellow inmate from um and um they also bribe a member of the prison staff. Yeah, because she freaks out like at one moment, and she threatens to like cut him off and do that right in front of everyone, like in visitation. Yeah. And even the guards looking at him, going, "Yeah, you can't be doing that." Yeah, and that that's because she discovers that um, Henry's mistress has also been visiting him. I mean, his excuse is technically he can't stop her from coming, which is. I mean that's not technically that's technically correct, but it is also yeah. kind of a shitty thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you would think. All oh, oh, right, I'm behind bars, like, and I, I've got this, I've got this business going for me. I'd better not bring my mistress along to to the prison. Yeah, yeah she's gonna clearly yeah. see the name there. She knows who she is. It's yeah, she could vi- she could visit him, but. Um, him just insist if this woman comes don't let her in yeah I don't want to see her yeah he could very easily do that but it's uh, I think it's playing into the whole like powerful men like can do what they want and they think they're like untouchable yeah so four years later in 1978 Henry is paroled and secretly expands his cocaine business with Jimmy and Tommy against Paulie's orders Mm. um so Jimmy organises a crew to raid the Lufthansa vault at the um, at the airport and steal over six million dollars in cash and jewellery. Um, after yeah. some members purchase expensive items against Jimmy's orders, um, and the getaway truck is found with um, by police, he has most of the crew um, except Tommy and Henry murdered. I also thought this was a really memorable scene for me when they turn up to the um, Christmas party and it's just so tense with how um, Jimmy is having a go at um, those two crew members for their extravagant purchases. Yeah, it's brilliant. And then obviously the image of um, and the dialogue that goes with it of uh, several of the the bodies turning up and the one in in the freezer unit. Where they're like, oh, it took them. It took two days for them to thaw him out before they could do the autopsy. Yeah. And yeah, I thought, despite them being grown men, as they were getting told off, it was like a teacher telling off a small kid, and their reactions were like that of a small kid. Yeah, because it, you know, at this point, Jimmy is kind of one of the heads of of the family, isn't he? And he's. Yeah, you know he should be respected, but then they're going completely against the wishes of him, and you know making themselves made pretty much, or marking them out to basically be caught, and it's really not a good idea to do that. And he's trying to tell them that, but they just won't listen. 
It was like, oh, mm. you know, I did it. I bought this car, but it's under my wife's name, and it's like, but it's not the freaking point. Like, the point is, just don't spend the money. You got to lay low. Yeah. Well, though, according to Henry, Jimmy does prefer the killing the, his partners rather than sharing all that money from the heist with them. So, I kind of just thought he was almost definitely overreacting just to make it clear that um, or try and make out to everyone else that that was the reason why they were killed when really it's just because he doesn't want to share anything. Yeah, he's looking for an excuse to get rid of them so he gets a better cut. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, uh, so Tommy is later deceived by the Mafia leadership into believing he is um, to become a made man. Um, but he's murdered after walking into a room of the ceremony. Yeah, he doesn't uh, even get to really see them. Like he just, they just put a gun to the back of his head and absolutely shoot him down. Yeah, like, and that's because he's, yeah, he's just someone that can um, fly off the wall at any moment, and um, it, it's ultimately as retribution for murdering um, bats and his other infractions in the organisation. Yeah. Um, the fact that he gets all like that they have a ruse for him to get in there you know he's nicely dressed he says goodbye to his mum it's so obvious that he's going to die but it doesn't matter anyway it's still beautiful like, yeah. it's like you said it's a character you hate or it was said you, you hate to love him but you love to hate him and he gets his comeuppance and it's, it is justice really to some degree yeah um, so in 1980, um, Henry develops a, a drug habit and he's now a paranoid wreck. Um, he does, however, continue his profitable uh, drug business together with his associates and his mistress until he's suddenly arrested by narcotics agents and is um, in incarcerated. Yeah, the scene where he's absolutely paranoid and being followed around by the helicopter is absolutely brilliant. Or yeah, like those several scenes where all of that plays out, it's it's really well done. And even Paulie's just like, "You're paranoid as hell, man. You need to stop this." Like, he's trying to be. Yeah. He's been warned so many times, but he just keeps going on and on. What like of how it's going, and and the fact that he has so many, so many things in place, and yet Jimmy tells him to not make calls on the house phone and stuff like that. It just completely goes to pot. And he, you know, he had this coming as well. Yeah. Um, so Henry later meets uh, Jimmy at a diner and um, is asked to travel on a hit assignment. Um, and this causes Henry to be suspicious because he's not normally included on a, something like that. Yeah, this is sort uh, of for lower, lower members, isn't it, to do? So, realising that Jimmy also plans to have him killed, Henry finally decides to become an informant and enrol with his family into the witness protection programme. Yeah. So, he gives a sufficient testimony and evidence in court to have Paulie and Jimmy convicted. Yeah. And moves to a nondescript neighbourhood. Um, I, 
I, I think from here, the scene where Karen figures out what's going on, I think another really superb moment of filmmaking. It is really well done how the how the camera follows her down the road and then she just peeks through and sees two people standing there in a shop front and she's just like, no, I've just realised I've got something to do. I'll, I'll be back later. And it's <clears> like, oh, Christ, she's figured the whole thing out. Like, And then I think... As a result of that, it sort of leads Henry, to, as as well as his potential hit, to go. Yeah, we we need protecting from these people, and we've got a re- we've got a snitch. Yeah, and that's like the ultimate um, rule that you would ne- will never break. Yeah, so they they went. And everyone goes against the code at some point, whether or not you snitch or you. You you mark you kill a made man. Everyone has done this done the thing that they did, apart from Jimmy. Jimmy was the only one who didn't. Mm. He stayed true to the code the whole way through. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's um. It, it, this the film ends with him being in this nondescript neighbourhood and he stood at his um, at the door of his house mm. and. He's longing for that mafia life again, and the film ends with him saying that he's now a schmuck. Yeah, pretty much. He sort of hates his life, doesn't he? But he's had to do what he's done to make sure him and his family survive. Yeah. And and to be honest, he doesn't... After everything he's done, whilst he's not probably done quite as many bad things as, um, as Tommy did... He probably still deserved his comeuppance, <clears throat> and he didn't yeah. deserve to get away scot free. But if he didn't, we wouldn't have this movie or the book. Yeah. So, and I think, I think a key theme in this film is actually like guilt, but it's not guilt in the traditional or moral sense. It's guilt that he's not been able to fulfil the the code. Um, yeah. Of, of yeah, because at the end of it all, he has um, betrayed betrayed everyone by being a snitch. Yeah, he's betrayed his entire life and his whole lifestyle, which he he grew up admiring, and he yeah, it's why he calls himself a schmuck because he's just he's gone against everything he ever believed in from a very early age. Yeah. Because yeah, he's it, up to that point. He stayed strong and and loyal, um, and no one has ever questioned that loyalty. But yeah, let's just say so, he bitched out at the very last moment when his life was on the line. Yeah, but there's also an element of guilt where, sure, the even though they've done bad things, there's. A guilt there that he wants to do it all again and he would if he could oh he absolutely would and i think i think that's the interesting part of it is that if you do a biopic like this it comes to the point where the person who's um the person whose life this is based on eventually they they realize that what they've done is wrong so in the same respect as the wolf of wall street you know he is very guilty about what uh, John Belfort's guilty about what he done all those years ago that he's trying to make amends by helping other people not do the same thing. This one is the complete reverse. Like he's guilty for the fact that he would go and do this all over again. 
Yeah. Right. I think it, another thing that I associate with this film is it being quite claustrophobic in a sense. And it, when I say that, I mean the mafia they and how Henry is living his life and his family are living their lives. Mm. It always feels as though everything is so close-knit and there's this code that you have to live by. Um, as the film progresses, the walls slowly start to come in on him and his yeah. life. Um, and, there's yeah, there's that guilty feeling that the walls are deserve. So... Yeah, absolutely. And it definitely feels a lot more that way after after um Tommy's first kill basically of the uh, of the made man. Yeah, well there's a, a particular sequence where we uh, I think it's in like it's in the second half of the film where he's um, doing the the drug dealing as well. Mm-hmm. And when I say about make the reference to the walls closing in, so He's trying to do, all, all at the same time, there's a sequence of him trying to juggle all these tasks. So he's trying to do the drug deal. Yeah. He's trying to um, make, make the meal and mix the sauce with the pasta. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his kid brother needs picking up from somewhere. And all this is, mean, meanwhile, is, and his life is just careering completely out of control. Yeah, and uh, at the same it, time he's being followed by what he doesn't know at the time is actually by the police. Yeah. Or by the DEA or whoever it is that's, that's tailing him. Yeah. So whilst it, I, th- I think it can be put into two halves, the film incident, in that the first half of the film shows the glamour of the mafia. And you could imagine if it had continued in that way, a lot of people would come out of the cinema thinking... Oh, it's actually not that bad being in the Mafia. In fact, it looks pretty cool. <laughs> um, but then the second half of the film just makes you think, yeah, no, I, I would never want to be in that situation. Yeah, can't disagree with that. It's a fair point. So we've done a lot of praise in there. And to be honest, yeah, I haven't really got anything to complain about. Um, I guess I just... I'd, I've. I've to be honest, I find it very difficult to explain why it's not one of my favourite films. Um, because at the end of the day, it's still a mobster film. And I don't know if it's because I find it a struggle to relate to the characters in any way. Yeah. And I don't know if it's also because I kind of feel as though most gangster films follow a similar through through line of it being you working your way up to becoming a made man yeah and in the end you probably don't <laughs> so like another film i forgot to mention earlier was like scarface sure that's like similar trajectory um so yeah i i, I don't i struggle to think of anything uh, anything that's bad about it or even slightly bad but yeah it's still doesn't really do much for me as much as it does for other people. There's, I, I think yeah. it sort of makes sense really because, you know, they're not a sort of film that you're usually going to go and pick out yourself, really. But this one is a shiningly decent example of how well they've done it. 
Yeah. But I guess nothing if I'm... to criticise as such about it. Yeah. If I... this is perhaps a wild example because I'm just I'm just imagining the listeners, particularly something like that we know personally, who have this film as like one of their top five films ever. Mm-hmm. Um and I can imagine them thinking, well, why don't you like it? And as as much as me, if, you, if you're not able to find anything wrong with it. And I think that's a valid argument. So I guess this is a wild comparison, but um, I imagine the, you know, the genre of film of like a racing film, you know, like racing driving film. Yes, yeah, so uh, like Rush or Ford vs. Rush, Ferrari, yeah, so, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to bring up the film Rush in particular. So I really like film Rush, and if you said to me now, would you rather watch Rush or Goodfellas? I'd say Rush, and that's going to be because I prefer driving and racing films as a genre. Yeah, and I imagine other people, some of our listeners, will have seen Rush and enjoyed it, but they would uh, but they wouldn't normally go and pick out a racing and genre film to watch in an evening because that's not the kind of genre they normally go for yeah. or interest them and i think that's similar to me with mobster and gangster films no matter how good the film is it's just not something you gravitate towards no but no. then you do have yeah. an example of a film in that genre which is is very good like Rush is a very good driving uh, racing film yeah. that they enjoy, but not as much as something like Goodfellas, which is in a genre they enjoy. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. It's it's kind of like the same thing for me with biopics generally, and this is sort of a, like a gangster movie, but a biopic at the same time, which is why I brought it up earlier. I don't gravitate towards biopics anyway, and mm. um. Whereas this and The Wolf of Wall Street are two excellent examples of biopics that I really, really enjoy and could watch any time. But that's not to say that it's something that I'll pick out every single time. So I'm trying to, like, um, you know, stuff like um, uh, Straight Out of Compton and stuff like that. I won't go and watch films like that generally because I just feel like it's just posting the, the scenes that... You, everyone knows and everyone wants to see within a movie but doesn't doesn't show you some of the the gruff and dirty details of the life of the of the person but mm. these ones do you know they go into the the hard the hard stance the hard the hard lessons that they've had to learn and that's why I like these as examples of biopics but it's it's not a genre I'm gravitating towards uh, especially like like you said with driving movies compared to gangster movies I, I completely get it but like I said this is a shining example as a, as a gangster movie and a biopic that I really enjoy and could watch any time yeah so whilst it's not a criticism it is a criticism because it's not a genre I gravitate towards so yeah I completely understand yeah so, so, uh, yes. you, so let's rate this and let's and we'll close it out because I'm sure people are going to have responses to this. Um, I'd give it four out of five. Um, yeah, the, I think it's a great example of a, a mobster film and probably the best I'll ever watch. Um, 
but yeah just the the issue with the genre as a whole um, enough, yeah, yeah. Uh, get that and i would i'd give this a four four and a half personally and uh, oh, my anger of you people i think this is better than than the godfather by a long stretch oh i i, I preferred this to the godfather yeah Godfather's I, an excellent movie but it just goes on for too damn long so, yeah but yeah i think this is this is just how you do monster movies and how you do biopics just generally anyway and i like i said i've i've watched this before but i've really enjoyed re-watching this for first time in quite a while actually mm. so right but yeah if you know oh, I will. I'll, Karen. i will just say as um it did uh, lead to me adding the book to my um reading list though nice. so let yeah. me know uh how different it is from the movie and how much they left out so I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that one but if you have read the book and you have thoughts about the book and the movie you can get in contact with us over on various different places so Kurt do you want to let everyone know where they can find us yeah so we are at Neverwatchers on Twitter and um, we can find us on Discords as well so we're in the Rapid Reviews Discord and the Modern Escapism Discord yeah. um, I am I am on Twitter. If you wanted to tweet me, it is at angrykurt. Cool. Oh, oh, sorry, angry underscore Kurt. No worries. And if you did want to email in, you can do so at neverwatcherspodcast at gmail.com. So next time, um, I don't believe we spoke about this, but I guess, Kurt, we're covering, we're going back to Marvel, aren't we? Yeah, it's uh, what if, isn't it? I think. I think so, yeah. So if... Marvel is not your thing, then we'll check you back for the next episode of Does the Movies, which we'll put a poll up or after we post the Marvel's ep- the next Marvel episode. But if you are interested in the cinematic universe, please check back for the next episode where we'll cover What If. But until next time, we'll speak to you later. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>